being a banker for 21 years almost. That's okay. It's, it's going to fuel you. Um, it's still, I think, fueling me to this day. Somebody does a little bit more, should be waiting a long time. So people are just going to have to roll up their sleeves. Try to make sense of it because there's so much information coming in and you don't know what's, what's relevant and what's not. The corporate world, uh, for four years as a CEO, I'm not interested in having this small probability of losing a whole lot of money. You need to be surrounded by other smart people. Got me through the door because it's a pretty small group. And it's fine, 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 Hello everyone, this is your host, Maura Maya. Welcome to another episode of the Finance Podcast, where I explore the professional journey of individuals who have successfully built careers in the financial industry. This episode is particularly interesting as we will be talking about COVID-19 and its effect on markets and how this will all play out. I guess this week is Jean-Philippe Blais. JP is a managing director at BMO Capital Markets heading the North American Foreign Exchange Trading Team based in Toronto. In his role, JP is responsible for overseeing the bank's global exposure in foreign exchange products, daily trading of BMO's largest and most active forward book, and participating in strategic planning for the trading team. JP works closely with the management team to maximize the efficiency of its foreign exchange trading operation while striking to refine its customer offering. JP has been part of BMO's foreign exchange team since 2005, holding various positions. He notably spent five years from 2010 to 2015 in London, where he successfully increased BMO's footprint in the European foreign exchange market. JP has a Bachelor of Commerce from McGill University and a Master's of Business Administration from the University of Chicago. So please enjoy my conversation with JP Blake. Hi, JP. Thank you for being on the platform here with us today. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I want to get right into it and I want to talk uh, about your professional journey and getting to understand your day-to-day, before getting to understand your day-to-day role as, as managing director and head of foreign, North American pardon, foreign exchange for BMO Capital Markets. How does it all start? Uh, so I grew up in a very small place called Lac Poulain, Quebec. Um, I'm, I grew up in a medical family where most of my parents are also in the medical uh, profession. It's an amazing, amazing profession, but I realized from a very early age that it wasn't quite for me. Um, I always liked numbers. For some reason, math was easy. Um, and it was my favorite subject at school from grade school. My parents uh, loved and still do love to travel, but they always struggle with English, uh, as you can guess from my name, French is my first language. And uh, from uh, an early age, they pushed my sister and I to uh, learn English uh, so we'd be more familiar than them. So I spent two summers in Fredericton, New Brunswick, doing immersion there in uh, early teens. And um, from that point on, I really wanted to kind of break the mold from where I grew up, where everyone goes to Sherbrooke or Laval University. And I wanted to do it in English. I went to visit Miguel and I really liked you know, the old school campus and being downtown and all that. So getting it, uh, except that McGill was something that was really big for me. Um, I was the only student from my CJEP to apply. So the counselors struggle with the application. 
to try to spend the summer uh, before Miguel in Monterey, Mexico, working for a Canadian company where I picked up a bit of Spanish. And that kind of pushed me and drove me to actually um, do a semester in Madrid while I was in Miguel um, in my second year because I wanted to become fluent in Spanish. So that was kind of like my, um, how I got to my senior year at McGill. And I want to continue with that story. And I want to talk about your break in, your breaking into finance. So how did that happen? How did you break in and how did your career in as a trader begin? So, uh, as I said, I always like numbers. Um, but once I discovered the stock market, I was fascinated. I just like, you know, I pick up the newspaper, and I look at the stock tickers of some of the companies, some of them are from close to where I grew up. So at the age of 14, I got my mom to open a brokerage account so I could trade. I, I had trading privileges, even though I was underage, but that was a way to get around opening my own because I was not old enough. And um, my first year at McGill, I landed a summer internship at NBC in Montreal on their trading floor. And that's when I knew that's where I wanted to be. The energy, the stamina, the roller coaster of emotions, like that was like this is for me. <laughs> That's fantastic. And moving forward to to now, you know, you are head of North American Forex Trading. I want to talk about what are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered throughout your career and how you overcame those. So I've had a lot of the challenges I've had since I was 18 were similar. And all of them involve moving to a different country, be Mexico, Spain, uh, the United Kingdom, and moving back to Canada later on. It's, um, it was always a, a challenge, but it's, it's very similar to anything, you know, going from being a student to starting your first job and then moving to a different job. It's always how do you adapt when you get to a different environment with different people around you. And, you know, it takes some time and, you know, at first it's not always easy, but it's, it's, it's worked out well for me. Mm -hmm. And continuing with this line, uh, with this line of thought, what are some of talking about, you know, adapting and changing and moving from country to country? What are some of the most important decisions you've made throughout your career? Or as you look over your history, what do you what do you wish the 20 year old you would have known now that you've made it this far? Well, I, I, I find myself, you know, in, in a position where I, I like my job. I like, like I get up every day and I'm excited to see what the day is going to bring me. So to, to me, one of the biggest thing that has kind of kept me going was never to give up. 15 years ago, um, when I graduated, um, 16 now um southern trading was not very well known so we didn't get, uh, have uh, any sort of on-campus recruitment there were no rotation programs there were no like the internship i got was by basically pestering any sort of relative of people or any connection that i could find and um in my senior year i interviewed with some high banking um, for so I'm making roles or some other finance jobs, but my passion was really in trading. So I could really never bring myself to like take something else because I fear that if I took a different job or a different um, kind of line of, of career, I might just never end up back into sales and trading. 
So I end up taking a, a job that paid me very little for a small company in Montreal. And from day one on that job, it was just to kind of have something on my resume where I wasn't just sitting on the couch. And I just kept trying to find anyone that I could try to beg for a job really. <laughs> um, and, you know, canvas hard for any sort of mutual relationship or any uh, person I could get. It took me about six months, but finally worked out. I, um, I interviewed for a job in Montreal for BMO and I didn't get that, but I got offered a job in Toronto. So I just took it. Out of everything you've mentioned, I do want to talk about your day-to-day -day role as head of the North American Foreign Exchange Trading Team. What does your day in an office at the office look like? Pardon, not at the office anymore, but what does your day-to-day -day role entail? All right, so my days have changed a little bit through a pandemic. Um, I now split my time about 50-15 between home and the office. Um, so I'll give you what my, uh, the, the home version of what my day looks like. So fortunately, it lets me sleep in a little bit later because I, I don't need to do the 25-minute commute to the office. So on a day like today, so I wake up around 5.30. Uh, then I check the markets. I see if uh, any overnight orders were filled for my team and I. I speak to our London trading desk if anything needs immediate attention. If there are, any, um, if there are no fires to deal with, then I'll try to go for a quick run or have a quick bike ride. Um, I usually like to make breakfast for my kids. I usually ask them when, uh, when they go to bed what they want for breakfast. So I make them breakfast. So when they wake up, they have uh, eggs or French toast or whatever <laughs> they might like. Um, 6.45, then I will... Um, come into um, my uh, makeshift home office and I'll log in into all the system, get everything up and running. At 7 a.m. we take over um, order management and market making from our London team. And then from 7 a.m. till 5, um, it's really, it really depends. It's the combination of market making, so making prices for clients, managing the risk that we currently have or the risk that we acquire throughout the day. Um, talking to team members about what their risk is, how they're handling it, how things are looking, keeping an eye on our risk, keeping an eye on what the PNL looks like, if any market movements where we're uh, at risk, if anything needs to be tweaked or changed from a, a team or global perspective. Um, peppered with some risk meetings, some head of trading meetings, a lot of chats um, on Bloomberg. So some of them um, from sales, uh, sales people from the BMO team, from other banks calling me for prices or um, any sort of liquidity they're trying um, to get. And then uh, somewhere around 5, 5.30, if all goes well, I call it a day. And then between 5.30 till bedtime, which is usually sometime in between 10 and 11, it's hang out with my wife and kids. Um, but I'll always kind of keep an eye on my phone, emails, phone calls with some members of management, team members, or our Hong Kong team. Because when we go, when we um, hand things over the same way we take it over from London, we just pass it to our Hong Kong team who then pass it to London and then back to us. Fantastic insight. So much covered here. And I want to continue on this 
idea of markets and maybe move towards market questions. So on dollar dynamics, as a as a head of Forex, is a dollar depreciation in the cards, uh, that is the American dollar, baked in almost in markets? Yeah, so the US dollar has been under quite a fair bit of pressure lately with the current risk on move um, that we've experienced. You know, stock markets had a crazy month in November and, you know, they're holding on to their gains and trying to make new highs. And uh, we're seeing the dollar index across the board at the lowest point of the year. And for the, you know, next three to six months, it's likely to continue with, you know, um, vaccine rollouts and lockdowns easing across the globe, hopefully sooner rather than later. But, you know, we have to remain realistic on how things are going to pan out. But um, compared to the spring lockdown, the, the same fear is not there in, like in, from a personal level. Um, I personally don't have the same, like it's not as much of an unknown. Um, COVID, we kind of know more about it, at least for the short-term effects, not necessarily the long-term effects. So overall, the, the risk sentiment is good and positive and the same way for risk assets. And we should continue to see stocks con appreciate over the, as I said, the next three to six months. And because of that, the U.S. dollar will remain under pressure. Continuing with this idea of the pandemic, we've seen second waves and lockdowns. What does public debt, particularly large government deficits, mean for foreign exchange markets in the next couple of months in North America, particularly in the U.S., which has taken on large amounts of debt and has rolled out massive stimulus packages, fiscal and monetary. The same for Canada. Are you more positive on the dollar or do you tend to be more negative against the Canadian dollar that is? So I, I think, as I said, the, the U.S. dollar overall should be negative, mostly from a risk positive um, influence. When it comes down to the Canadian dollar, I think it's it's the same uh, general concept because uh, the Canadian um, economy and stock market was was battered pretty pretty hard, and we're seeing you know Canadian banks are still not back in, uh, a, a, as a group where they were pre-pandemic. Um, you're seeing the same thing with energy stocks, uh, infrastructure companies in Canada. So I, I think the Canadian equity market should benefit more of the recovery than the U.S. And because of that, it should be positive for the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar. Perfect. Fantastic insight. And I want to move to something a little bit different and talk about what is the best advice uh, you would give to young traders willing to trade in the uh, markets, uh, particularly Forex in general. So early on, someone told me, to, told me this sentence and it kind of resonated with me. Never feel bad about taking profit. As a trader, it is so easy to look back and like anything in life, but to look back and it's like, oh, I should have held on longer. I should, I could have made a little bit, a little bit more. But as a trader, you've made money. You have put a trade on. It worked out. You made money. Don't feel bad about it. Like yes, it kept going, but you should forget. Like good or bad, you should forget about it and move to the next one. 
Fantastic. And one last question, which is a little bit different. Again, it's about, I want to touch upon an issue that I believe is more and more relevant, and if not worrisome for some young traders that don't come from software engineering backgrounds or individuals who aspire to be one day traders. Where do you believe the industry is headed uh, in considering the use and application of uh, artificial intelligence, um, machine learning, and algorithmic trading. How are these technological innovations affecting the trading industry? So there's obviously been a big, I'm not going to say change, there, uh, let, let's go with shift um, from where trading desks were 15 years ago to where they are now. We, we used to have a lot more human traders than we do now to do the same to cover the same amount of products and there's a lot of um of products that are more commoditized like fx spot for example you, you know anyone could look at a, a web page and know exactly where the fx spot is trading and it, it's something that is very it's the most liquid market in the world and for that reason that's one of the markets in my area that we've moved to machine for a lot more than anything that is more complicated like FX swaps or FX options, where we still have quite a few human traders. Um, there are more components, There's uh, those are more credit intensive. Um, but the one thing that this pandemic or any financial or any crisis that affects the financial markets always kind of reaffirms is the need for human traders. The machines are great when everything is fine and liquidity is good. But when that's not the case, the machines get run over very quickly. Banks turn their machines off or widen their spread so much that people don't want to trade on the machine. That's when the, the human traders really, you know, are, are, are worth um, what they bring to the bank. So any crisis, it's always the same thing. You know, banks in general or, you know, financial markets in general feel like they could probably do with very few traders and then something disruptive like this pandemic happens. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we need more traders. <laughs> so for, I'm not saying that in 20 or 30 or 50 years, we might all be gone, but for the, the next 10 plus years, there will be a need for traders. Fantastic. I'd like to rip up the script here and talk about uh, more of guiding question, guidance questions, pardon, for our student audience. And you mentioned something really interested, interesting. When you first started, you know, you um, really work hard on your networking in order to be able to get a job in uh, trading. So from navigating the stay-at-home economy at and to overcoming the setbacks from you know, virtual learning and weathering a job market that's forever changed by this pandemic, the, the coronavirus pandemic and accompanied recession have had an outsized impact on young people. So students have had their studies disrupted and their career plans upended with certain internships being closed or even um, some banks not posting internships for you know, 2021. What is your best advice for young students trying to form networks and build connections with professionals, um, given everything that's happening in this environment? So I know it's a tough thing to do because the easiest way to build a network is to do it in person. You know, is is to 
get in touch with people, try to buy them a coffee, buy them a beer. I've done that a lot and I still do it. You know, it's, it's always good. I, I know um, a lot of people that do my job at other banks and we still go for a coffee and all that. And it's just good to get a pulse on what, what people are up to and what they're doing. So my best advice through all this, and I, I know from personal experience, you will get a lot further if you have any sort of mutual, obviously a mutual connection, if you can get an intro by someone else. If someone, you know, tells me, oh, I know this guy, did, did, did this, this student, and um, uh, he or she is, is really interested, do you have five minutes? Like, of course, you're going to say yes, because it's coming from someone that you already have a relationship with. And that's the easiest thing. Obviously, if you can do that, great. If not, you kind of need to go to the next layers. Like, okay, so was this person a member of the same team as I am? Was this person in the McGill Investment Club? Like, what, what sort of, you need to find a common ground or at least something that you have in common. And um, to try to actually generate a response because it's tough. Like, I know for every student, you are asking someone and you know that that person is probably getting pinged a hundred times. So how is your request going to be handled differently? Because everyone has just a finite amount of time and you know, you can't respond to everyone. So fantastic. And I want to continue with this. And what are, what do you think are the important things that individuals should focus on as they try to build successful careers, uh, particularly in your sector that is trading? Okay, so this will probably sound a little bit cold, but trading is a binary profession. This is, this is not, it's, it's you, you're good or you're not. And obviously as a trader, you get daily PNL. And no one is going to be good every day or make money every day. And, and it just happens, but you need to be smart and not emotional. And it's tough because, you know, everyone has the same thing. It's like you're losing money while you don't want to sell, selling a losing position is the most difficult thing that you're, you're going to have to do. Um, but you're always going to, try to find a way to spin it in a way oh maybe it will come back maybe it's still good um otherwise um learning from your mistakes is something very important because as i said no one can be right all the time but you need to be right more often than you're not so you need to learn why was i not right and also you actually need to move on you can't you can't always keep thinking what if i done this you need to get over your bad days quickly because your great days you're gonna forget them so quickly you like if i have a great day trading last week i probably don't don't even remember it this week but if i had really if i had a bad day last month i still remember exactly what happened so you need to get over your bad days as fast as you get over your good days and on this, continuing on the same line of question, to what skill and or value do you attribute, you know, most of your success? Um, that's a tough one. Um, 
I think I'm good at being decisive. I, I'm good at reacting quickly. And I believe in leading by example. I don't ask anyone of my team to do something that I'm not willing to do. And I will do the front work every now and then, just show them that I actually do it and also that I'm able to do it. That's fantastic insight. And so I want, I'm gonna be respectful of your time. And so I have two final questions before we head to closing remarks. The first one is, what advice can you give to individuals trying to break in on get a seat at the bank's trading desk? How do you set yourself apart from um, other candidates as you apply for a job at a trading desk? So one thing that, um, that, that I always tell um, people looking for a job or looking to join my team is to be keen. There's, I find there's a lot of people that they feel like once they land the internship or they, they get, you know, an opportunity, they kind of ease off and, you know, always being keen is something that is very important because we could all be better at what we do. And the other thing is like, just don't try to be good at what you're doing and what your job is. Try to make everyone's job easier around you. Don't be shy to take on someone else's like thing that they don't like to do. Um, and you know, that, that's, that's all it is. And finally, are there any resources, perhaps books to which you would direct someone because it had some sort of impact on you or would be a good asset to have read prior to starting a career in trading? Um, so there are three, when I, I mentioned that I did the, um, a semester abroad in Madrid. And when I left, I, uh, before I left, I bought three books that I packed with me and I actually read them more than once, all three of them. And they kind of left the lasting impression because then it was my second year at McGill. And um, they were a random walk down Wall Street, which is, it usually makes most, most lists Another one is probably as cliche, if not more liar's poker. And the yeah. last one was an a different one. It's called monkey business. You probably have never heard of it. Um, that's another interesting read. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. Is there anything else you'd like to suggest or mention as we wrap up any advice for our audience? Through a pandemic and, and you know, the, the the one thing that worked for me was really just never give up what whatever it is if if sales and trading if what whatever line of business that you're interested in and you might not land a job right away but keep at it you know there's there's people that end up on trading floor 10 years after they've started working it just took them like a weird longer way to get there but if that's your passion you've got one life to live go for it that was an absolutely wonderful conversation. Thank you for being on the platform. It has truly been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with JP Lee. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. As you know, this podcast is powered by the McGill Investment Club. Remember to stay tuned and stay safe.